Hi, I'm Dee Reddy, and welcome to Scale by Intercom. Scale is our dedicated content resource on the Inside Intercom blog, where you can find a wealth of materials, including podcasts, of course, that explore how businesses are driving growth through customer relationships. Every second week, you'll hear from guests on a range of topics, from customer experience to sales and marketing, and hear about the strategies and frameworks that they've used to chart new paths for their customers and their companies. This week, we are chatting to a true CS leader, Gong's recently appointed Director of Customer Success, Linda Lin. Linda's been at the forefront of leading and building post-sales teams for the past 12 years. In this time, she led corporate and mid-market account management at Zendesk and was the first enterprise CS hire at Slack, where she drove their strategic CS programs. We talked to Linda about her strategies for moving up market and how to go about ensuring the right culture fit within and without your team when dealing with this new breed of customer. It's a really interesting conversation with tons of actionable advice from someone who successfully scaled a number of teams. So let's head over to the studio and hear from Linda. So Linda, you are so very welcome along to Scale by Intercom today. We're delighted to chat with you about your work as a true leader in the CS sphere. To kick us off though, would you mind giving us just a little bit of background on yourself? Yes, absolutely. And first of all, thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be on this podcast with you. So I won't go back so far in time as to my very first job, but in case you're curious, I was selling bubble tea in Atlanta. Um, but maybe on a more professional level, I started as an AE at a company called Meltwater uh, through their hyper growth period and spent about five years there helping build out different teams, eventually becoming a director of sales, a director of upsells and renewals, and then a director of, of CS. And from there was able to take that experience of, of building teams and hyper growth and, and, and uh, launch a new part of my career journey at Zendesk where I was lucky enough to lead account management for a mayor and led corporate and mid-market account management in, in really a post-sales commercial team uh, for upsells and renewals uh, for Zendesk and took all those learnings and then uh, pivoted and took myself over to Slack where I was pretty early on the ground as the first enterprise CS hire there and got to see the team grow from, uh, I think we were maybe like five-ish people when I joined in CS and then when I left, we were about 300 in CS. I think now the org is probably closer to a thousand people. So a really large, really mature, really world-class CS org and joined at a revenue stage for Slack of 50 million in ARR. When I left, we were, you know, just bridging the $1 billion mark. So with that astronomical growth came a lot of new customers, a lot of upmarket customers. Of course, we always excelled in, in SMB at Slack as well. So it was really an incredible learning journey. Specifically, my, my role there was leading uh, CS strategic programs. So owning the methodology and CS playbooks for Slack, as well as you know, touching on some of the internal and cross-functional uh, processes and programs that allowed us to scale. Really amazing journey, Linda. And I don't think I overintroduced you there when I described you as a true leader in the CS sphere. So that brings us up nicely to your current role with Gong. And you recently started there, I believe, as Director of Customer Success. So mm-hmm. how is that going? And, and what part of your strategy currently are you most excited about? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, after Slack, I was really thinking about exploring my next role and my next journey and thinking about where do I add most value for a team and a company and, and also what environment do I thrive in? What do I love? And I was so lucky to find this opportunity at Gong that was the intersection of, of all those things. And so I'm incredibly excited about just wrapping my my first quarter at Gong. It's it's such a culture of vibrance, I think is the best way I could describe it. There's just great people, great energy, great customers, great customer love of the product. And that makes it really fun as a CS leader to join the team. Specifically, you know, for this year, things I'm really excited about, I really thrive in, you know, hyper growth environments where you're scaling fast and there's still an opportunity to build. And that's really where we are right now. So, you know, at Gong, we have a fairly large CS org and we have a lot of raving fans in terms of customers who invest in Gong and want to see, you know, ROI and, and value from from Gong for their revenue intelligence and have tr- entrusted in us, um, their sales and CS teams, you know, usage of Gong. So what I'm excited about is to create a more prescriptive methodology for how we go about helping customers achieve and unlock that value, which is really the, the core focus of a CSM team. And then operationally, internally, you know, what's challenging and also exciting about this year and this next phase of growth for Gong is we are doing that in the midst of pretty insane hyper growth. So doubling the team this year, and that's a lot of new people and new ideas and new energy injected in. And so it's a really important time to blend that maturation of our CS process and being more prescriptive with customers uh, with ensuring that we do that well, we execute really well as we're doubling the team and bringing on new CSMs on a monthly basis. Fantastic. It sounds like such an exciting time for both you and the team at Gong. You touched on something earlier there, Linda, where you talked about how while you were at Meltwater, you moved from director of sales to director of customer success. And I guess since that period, you've spent over 12 years in that post-sales leadership. I'd love to know, though, when you were making that shift, where did you see the opportunity for yourself and for the company to scale by you making that change? Well, career journeys are so funny because when you put them on a resume and you articulate it one way, you can say it was kind of calculated and planned and, you know, you hop from one stone to the other and it makes logical sense, but really none of it makes sense until you look back. And some of these things are about opportunity and business need and what happens to you rather than, you know, choices. So for example, at Meltwater, I was leading a sales team for a specific product line. And then we decided instead of having sales teams for product line that we were going to have a net new logo sales team, an install-based sales team that specialized in all the product lines, and then a CS team that owned customer adoption and renewal. So it wasn't exactly by choice, but by opportunity of the business need where there was an opportunity for me to go from selling to net new logos to selling to existing customers. And then that really translated in me going, well, I'm really enjoying working with existing customers, helping them realize the value of what they purchased and grow the relationship beyond, you know, the first 30 days or the first contract. And then, you know, me exploring post-sales leadership and then falling in love with that. And so, you know, sometimes I think the way I think about career growth is you don't always know looking forward uh, exactly the right steps, but when you have an opportunity, if you've been doing really well and the company gives you an opportunity to grow your remit and your experience, jump on that, say yes, you know, be excited to learn something new and it will always uh, make you a, a better and stronger leader for it. And as a result, I got to help the company scale because I got to take on, you know, additional 
responsibilities and, and new parts of the organization and new parts of the go-to-market team that I never even envisioned um, taking part of when I, when I joined the company. I love that. That's such great advice there about seizing opportunities when, when they're offered to you by a company that you're with. Do you mm-hmm. think, Linda, that your experience in sales makes you a better post-sales or CS leader? I do, absolutely. I don't think it's a prerequisite by any means, but I think it, it helps uh, a ton. I mean, first of all, the go-to-market teams are, are all partner teams, right? There's one customer and there's just a customer journey as it, they are led from prospect to customer, to growing customer, to renewing customer. And so having an understanding of all parts of that customer journey, having owned pre-sales myself and having run a team with a, you know, carrying a quota, I understand uh, and empathize with my pre-sales counterparts and they understand that customer journey full on. And I think that helps me and my team better execute on the post-sales delivery of, you know, closing that loop of why people buy into helping them realize the value of what they buy so that they want to continue to buy and continue to grow um, the company. And, you know, also skill-wise, I think one thing you really learn when you are in a sales leadership position in pre-sales is driving urgency. And I think that carried that into my post-sales leadership where it's always top of mind for me to drive urgency. And so I think it has served me well. Yep, that, that makes perfect sense. I want to shift gears a little bit now and kind of hone in on an area where, I mean, you have such expert advice and that's moving up market. You know, as Slack's first enterprise hire, as you said earlier, you've helped companies grow from 50 million to 750 million AOR in both pre and post IPO. So for you kind of zooming out of that, Where's the first piece of the puzzle that leaders need to shift in making that move up market? Well, the first thing is I think the companies I really admire are the ones that learn what they do really well in their core competency in, in the run rate business. So thinking about where they've done really well in self-serve and in, in SMB and where maybe product-led growth has driven a ton of end-user adoption or even what we call shadow IT usage by, by end-users who just love the product. And those companies who understand what worked well really there and then figure out how that lends itself to their shift up market, I think those companies really excel, like the um, Zendeses and, and Slacks and, and Gongs of the world. And so, you know, it's it's not analogous, but there are learnings you can take in your SMB business as you think about going up market into bigger companies and bigger deployments. And specifically, if you know, for the for the companies I work with, these products are seat based, and so as we move up market, what that means is there's increased complexity in your enterprise deployments up market because there are a lot more seats that are purchased for these larger customers. And so, you know, the first thing I think about is, are you incorporating in your postal strategies a deep investment and a deep motion of change management, which is really really integral to success in, in launching an upmarket customer. And then the second is upmarket customers have different demands of, of you. You're no longer a vendor that's plug and play and a small spend. You're, you're a big part of their tech stack. You're a big part of their investment strategy. You're a big part of um, their, their spend. And they look at you less as a vendor and more as a partner. So they're going to, as part of that partnership, demand more from you in terms of a partnership on on your roadmap, partnership on you know key integrations they need, partnership on the kind of support they need, not just from their CSM, but from the company as a whole across products, sales, marketing, BD, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so, you know, you really have to think about yourself in terms of how is your, your partnership working for these upmarket customers. That makes a huge amount of sense because, you know, as these things shift up market, as you say, there's different demands from the customer. So thinking about then building out a team during that period, do you think there's slightly different or even dramatically different skill sets that you're looking for when you're recruiting CS teams to optimize for that type of client? There are. Um, yes. So there are different types of CSM roles. You know, some CSMs run a more campaign-based approach and they might be in a pooled model or they might have a scaled portfolio of many, many customers. And so the skill set there is a little different than an enterprise CSM who is running a one to few portfolio. And so the enterprise CSM skill set is that they understand how to build a partnership with their set of customers. They understand how to do portfolio planning and plan for their entire portfolio or their book of customers and prioritize within that. Um, and they understand things like account strategy involve more than just how the customer uses the product, but in fact, how we're multi-threading across many executive stakeholders for that customer or how deep we've penetrated multiple lines of businesses or multiple use cases to create a sticky and healthy partnership. And they're also driving and have the ability to drive a customer advocacy. So we're really returning back to the business some, some value add there on customer advocacy from our, our key customers. And, and I think the other thing I think a lot about is um, how do you bring some diverse points of views and some diverse ways of thinking onto the CS team as you go up market? Because you need to get creative and you need to do things differently than when you were just working with smaller customers. And so... Not only do I look for people with CSM, you know, high touch enterprise experience, I've also um, broadened out and looked for people with no CSM experience and no SaaS experience, but instead have deep consulting experience, maybe worked for one of the big four consulting companies and worked, you know, in depth on some of the things I touched on around stakeholder management, account strategy, you know, deep discovery with their client and understanding their business need and being able to drop in and be really consultative. And so I've built out at Gong a team of, of people from both. And I think that really makes us much stronger in supporting our customer needs and of bringing diversity of thought to our team. And that's something I learned from my time at Slack, where we, we did the same thing. And we had a great model of blending in people from all different backgrounds. And, and specifically, because change management was such a big part of our CSM playbook, we found huge success in, in, in hiring uh, ex-consultants to, to join the CSM team. That's so interesting. But I guess if you're making that shift from, you know, where, where customer service is becoming more of a partnership, then I suppose there's people on your CS team who, who are almost acting as consultants mm-hmm. for, for your clients. So that's, that's really interesting that you would bring people from that background. Are there particular types of leaders that you think these teams need that you wouldn't have needed before? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Same thing with kind of diversity of, of perspectives for the CSMs. I, I want that for my leadership team as well. So when I think about building out my management team, there's a want to promote people internally who have deep gong experience, who understand our domain, which is in revenue intelligence and working with CROs and VPs of sales. Um, and then balancing that with people who have had, you know, longevity and are tenured CS leaders who've built out processes, who've built out processes specifically in hypergrowth who understand CSM playbooks from different product lines or even different business models that can balance out our diversity of thought um, and make us a more creative and innovative team. 
And then of course, those who've worked with a similar segment of customer types, more so a market that can help us understand, you know, how do we drive success for a really fast growing company who has more enterprise demands of, of Gong and of our team? Yeah, and then presumably, you know, with all these changes going on between your team and the customers, your playbooks need to change as well. Yeah, absolutely. My daughter has strong opinions. You can hear her in the background. She's very excited about playbooks specifically. Um, yes, you do. You do. So I think, you know, one thing is why do you have playbooks? You have playbooks so that you can be really prescriptive with your customers. And you can also, as you scale your team and you have, you know, dozens and dozens of CSMs have some consistency of what they're doing with customers. And, and for the customers, that's consistent customer experience that always drives towards value add. So for, for moving up markets, I think there are certain playbooks we really focus on. Right now at Gong, we're in the midst of launching our new adoption playbook. So what happens after a customer buys? And I'm not talking about implementation and tech config and account setup. I'm talking about how do you drive adoption of Gong across a you know global sales team of hundreds of, of sales reps and maybe even uh, CSMs as well. What does that take? That takes having a champion program in your playbook that takes having executive sponsorship in your playbook that takes having a success plan of your key objectives and how that converts to long workflows that takes having hard metrics of how we're going to track success of this adoption period. And so those are the components of, of adoption that I'm really focused on now. Probably the other, you know, main playbook, I think for, for moving up market that I really would focus on is your escalation and risk mitigation playbook. So being able to quickly have your field team unearth where there is risk, quickly escalate that to involve the right people and quarterback across the right leadership or the right teams internally, and then figure out a quick plan to de-escalate that risk is, is super, super important so that we don't have dormant risk in our portfolio. And then presumably, Linda, like, you know, we often assume, I think, that upmarket needs or means a kind of more of a white glove approach. Do you think that's true or is that not really scalable? And it's, it's really about finding ways to automate and provide self-service support so that humans can actually focus on the most impactful areas for those clients. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, the answer is it's, it's both. Um, so for your Fortune 100 customers who are spending a ton with you and have a wall-to-wall deployment or, you know, whatever it means for your, your, your business for an enterprise account, they're certainly going to want a more white glove approach. How that manifests sometimes is having one-to-one or one-to-few, you know, CSM access. So someone very specific who owns a relationship who quarterbacks across all of your internal resources on behalf of that customer. So in that way, it's white glove, but I would say it's, it's a little different than, you know, one person being white glove. What white glove actually means is that that CSM is quarterbacking for your customer across all of the resources. And that could be your professional services team because that customer wants a tailored and bespoke and customized professional services engagement that, you know, that might be for that customer. They have a legacy tech stack because they are a Fortune 100 company and you have to figure out how to configure, you know, your technology with their existing legacy tech stack and you need your PS team involved there. That can be white glove in terms of having more elevated support offerings where there's around the sun or different SLAs or, you know, different dedicated support uh, and so on and so forth. So that's the white glove part. 
But like I mentioned, the, at least the, the products I've worked with, they are seat-based. So as you go uh, market and you have larger deployments, there's more humans that are using that technology. And so you can't have white glove with individual stakeholders, right? Your CSMs have to be aligned to a specific set of key stakeholders for the customer. That's probably the executive sponsor. That's probably some subset of champions, some subset of systems admins and so on that you're working with on the partnership, but you're not scaling the CSM or it's not scalable to have a CSM work with all the individual end users out market. And so that's where you have to really rely on self-service ways of doing customer education, change management, champion programs, automations in product features that help drive that adoption of the product and help scale customer success beyond one human CSM to, you know, how do you create customer success at scale for uh, that enterprise customer? Sure. There's so many different elements that are required really for it to work, aren't there? And then mm-hmm. what's happening with your your previous customers, you know, the non-enterprise ones, because presumably they're, they're loyal customers and you want to retain them as your organization scales up market. How are you coaching your CS team to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, your first and early customers are so important because they probably took a risk on you. Maybe your go-to-market motion wasn't so defined. Maybe you didn't have as many features, maybe, you know, value was harder. Maybe they were, you know, they took a bet on you. And so it's really important to think about how you're supporting your tenured customers. I think sometimes as the company grows and the CS team matures, you change the way that CSMs engage with customers. And for your tenured customers, that might mean you have to reset some expectations of how you're going to work together going forward. Meaning they used to have a CSM run XYZ initiatives for them But now, you know, that's not out of the box anymore. That's a bespoke professional services offering, or that's a area where the CSM will coach them and teach them how to fish on their own. So you might have to reset some of those expectations with your earliest customers and and make sure that they are happy, but understand how you'll partner together in this next phase of your journey together. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So, Linda, 
like with all this change that's going on in how you address the world as a team externally, I'm curious about what happens then internally within a company that's going through this hyper growth stage. You know, how do you manage this culture shift in how people view the CS team? And is it really important to kind of shift that understanding of your team as from being a cost center to a value driver? Yeah, I think this is really important and and also really challenging because CS teams evolve and the CS team directive can evolve and even the CS team KPIs can evolve. So I think uh, early on, you know, how you might think about even your capacity planning, your headcount allocation for CS is very much a cost center centric framework, right? So you're like, well, we have 15 million in ARR across the company and we need each CSM to manage 2 million roughly. And so that means we need to hire, you know, do the math, this many CSMs to manage that business and retain that ARR so we can reap the benefits of, you know, annualized growth of of ARR and so on in a SaaS um, environment. Um, And that changes when you're, when you think about CSMs as what is their value to the customer and to the business that is uniquely provided by CSM. So for example, you know, when you create like a champions program and you drive Raven fans within CS, that has force multiplying value to our business because those Raven fans and those champions are going to be force multipliers for the CSM so that they can do that work on our behalf and advocate for on our behalf within their companies. And those people also go to new companies and take that excitement for Gong and drive and champion Gong at new companies. When we drive customer advocacy, when we're able to have customer testimonials and customer case studies and customer wins and success stories, then we're able to drive value for our business by bringing that to prospective customers. Another example would be, you know, our business and our go-to-market motion is always changing. So as we want to test different product features or different positioning in, in the marketplace, and as our company strategy evolves, our customers are really the best voice of feedback for us on how that resonates, how that how they would embrace that in helping us understand what they really value. And so CS can be the conduit of all of that great customer input back to the company on these really strategic decisions particularly as you go up market, you know, you, you don't learn better from anyone than your customers on, on how they want to be sold to, how they want to use and how they want to partner with you uh, to get value out of your tool. Yes. I love that because you're essentially creating the opportunity for your team to close that feedback loop between the product side of the organization and the people that are actually using it. Are are there other kind of ways that organizations can go about like really making sure that that feedback loop is as smooth as possible and and what sort of cross-functional relationships do they need to be advocating for in order to make that happen? I think the the companies that have longevity that most of us admire the, the brand names of, they figured out a great loop between the go-to-market and product teams and they're customer-centric in their approach to how they build and enhance their product roadmap and their go-to-market motion together. And so those internal cross-functional relationships between CS leaders and product leaders is really important. And then the feedback loop that you establish um, as early as you can when you're as small as that you ever will be is super important and how you build that into your company DNA. And so tactically speaking, for example, 
having, for example, gong snippets where a customer talks about the pains that they're feeling and why they're asking for certain feature functionality and tagging, you know, a product manager who's, who owns that piece of the roadmap on that snippet and gong is really value add because they can hear directly from the customer and the customer's voice is, is being brought into the room on what they need and why and what, what pains we're trying to solve for them. And another way, if you, you know, feed into a Slack channel, you know, real-time requests from customers so that product managers and product leadership have eyes on what's currently top of mind for customers. Those are things that you can do on the ground on a more day-to-day basis to just bring the customer voice literally in front of, of your product teams. Probably more systematically, you want to have a cadence where there's a time in, in each quarter where your post-sales team and your sales team together are bringing reports and dashboards and insights to product leadership on thematically, here are the you know one, two, three biggest rocks that we're hearing in pre and post sales from prospects and customers alike. Here is the business impact to the customer or prospect's business of what we think this could solve. And then also attach it to, to numbers, right? We have to make decisions based on metrics. What is the scope of impact here? How many customers and which segment is the, is the impact? And then um, to what extent? So is it a lot? Is it a little? Is it recent? Is it an existing, you know, consistent ask? Um, what is the revenue impact of that? Is there potential net new ACV that we're losing because we're not building certain things? Or is there potential ARR that we're losing in terms of churn and attrition? Or is there, is it potential future ARR? Is it expansion revenue that we're not unlocking um, as a result of this? Those are ways that you can present the themes and the business impact to products so that they can have those inputs when they make decisions on, on how they want to prioritize that on the roadmap. That's fantastic. And it kind of, I suppose it goes back to your, to your earlier point around these being more partnerships than, than anything else. And, and, Presumably when customers start to see the the benefits of their feedback actually becoming, you know, something real within the product that they can use or that speaks to their needs, it, it really copper fastens those partnerships. Yeah, absolutely. So lastly then, before we move on, I mean, you've touched on some areas of it there, but how do you and your team go about kind of maintaining and building excitement around customer success within an organization? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. Um, well, it's not me. It's it's really a company ethos at Gong. And when I, you know, pick new new roles for myself, I really intentionally pick companies where I can tell in the interview process there is a top down um, across executive team commitment to customer centricity and customer success. That's really important to me because I it would be really hard for me to be successful as a CS leader uh, without that being built into the DNA of the companies that I work for. So specifically, I'll give you a couple of examples of where I see this manifesting. Um, first of all, we're constantly celebrating our customers and talking about them. We actively dog food our own product to tag executives in certain calls where we have customer input or customer wins or product feedback or whatever it might be. Our executives are committed to our customers. They actively speak to them. Our CCO sends out a form every month where he tends to speak to, you know, big subset of customers on a monthly basis to connect with them, not just when they're at risk or when they have an upsell or renewal, but just to hear about their use case, how they're feeling about Gong, you know, what value they're deriving from it. 
We have an MPS channel where everyone in the company can see, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly from what our customers are actually saying about Gong. And, and then we talk about these in our company, all hands in our department uh, meetings where we showcase, you know, customer wins and customer stories. And so it's just part of our company ethos constantly of um, centering around customers and their voice. And people are genuinely excited about seeing customers succeed and unblocking customers where they're facing hurdles. Maybe another example I'll show, and again, this is where the top-down commitment is so important. Our CCO, Iran, you know, recently sent out an email to all of pre and post sales leadership around customer centricity when we have challenging customer scenarios. So for example, if a customer, you know, comes into post sales with maybe false expectations or expectations that we can't actually meet uh, for their particular use case or whatever the case may be, then we have to make good decisions based on what's best for that customer. It could be that we give them some extra resourcing. It could be that we make some concessions around you know, their, their, their contract terms, or maybe that, you know, this just isn't the right fit for them and we need to own that and possibly, you know, figure out the the right solution for, for them going, going forward, uh, which may or may not involve a gong. So we try to do things that favor the long-term that are customer centric in nature and make the right decisions as a, as a business. And that very much stems from top down, which helps build you know, across the field team and across all departments, this this sense of customer centricity, the sense of doing things for the long term, and the sense of doing the right thing for the customer experience and the customer success. I love that. There's like, there's tons in those examples there that will actually be really actionable advice for people listening to the podcast, which I always think is is really useful. So before I let you go, Linda, what's next? You know, have you any big plans for the team at Gong in the second half of 2021? Yeah. Uh, well, firstly, it's a year of scale. So we are, we are hiring a ton. So if you, you know of great people or you're a great CSM or CS leader, uh, we're looking to grow our team and we're looking for rock stars. And secondly, I mentioned we're maturing our, our, our business. And so we're maturing our, our CS playbooks and um, our way of working with customers. And there's some exciting things we have in the works there. And I think for me personally, I'm having my second second baby boy is, is on on route in, in a couple of weeks. So that's my big, I guess, planner project um, that's for, right. for the rest of the year. Uh, so yeah, those are those are the things for, for the rest of 2021. Super. And congratulations and very best of luck with the new arrival. Thank you. So- Before we wrap up, this series is, you know, it's really all about hearing how companies scale their growth. But before we do wrap up, I'd love to know if there was a key event in your career that helped you scale professionally. I mean, when I reflect back, it's it's to what I spoke to, which is your career growth is going to happen at the intersection of your interests, what you want to grow and what the business seat is. So just look for those opportunities. Be someone who's positive. Be someone who's, this you know, a inside rock star intercom. that can always take things and hit them out of the ballpark for the team. And be someone who is not overextended and who has capacity to take on interesting projects and interesting scope and remit. And make it clear how you want to grow your career. And then at the right time, if you're at a hyper growth company, there will just be opportunities that will present themselves where you will be the right person at some point. And 
you just say yes when those opportunities come up and you learn new skill sets and new experiences and new responsibilities and you're going to grow yourself. Um, and that, I think, looking back has been the key to all the most fun things that I've been able to uh, take on in my career that have make, made me who I am uh, today. I love that. They're words to live by. So lastly, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? Yes, absolutely. Um, people can find me on LinkedIn under Linda Lynn um, and connect with me there. And I look forward to, to hearing from you. Yes, I would definitely recommend that because, you know, uh, I noticed on your LinkedIn that you kind of have these great posts where you start brilliant conversations between other CS leaders, um, which are really, really interesting to read. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, feel free to connect with me there. Great. Well, we will link to that in the show notes. Um, And that's it. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you today, Linda. Thank you. That was so fun. Thank you, Dee, so much. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Linda Lynn. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps people like you find their way to our podcasts. We'll be back next week with another great episode for you, featuring some of my favorite guests from over the past two years. We hope you'll join us.